2 Kings chapter number 22, look in verse number 3. Scripture says, In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshullam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters, to the builders, and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand. They deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. I'm not going any further than that tonight. I'm going to talk to you this evening about what's going on in this passage that there's a parallel to in the 21st century American church. And I'm not going to pull any punches tonight because this, I believe, is a non-negotiable if the people of God are ever going to experience the fullness of what God has to offer. In this passage of Scripture, lots of things were going right. But in this passage of Scripture, we find out that there was one key component in the nation of Israel that had been so deeply neglected that it had actually been forgotten for decades. What am I talking about? I'm talking about their Bible. I'm talking about the Word of God. And when I look at this passage, I, I actually see modern-day, 21st-century American Christendom, and we've lost our Bibles. I'm a firm believer in prophetic ministry. I exercise that gift. I operate in that gift. I love to do it. It actually brings such a thrill to my soul that when, when we get to move about freely and God's giving words of knowledge and prophetic words and words of wisdom, I love that. But I'm going to tell you something. That apart from the guardrails of Scripture will ruin a people. It will ruin a people. Because we cannot do what the Bible commands us to do with prophecy if we don't have the guardrails of the Word of God. What does the Bible say to do? Test prophecy. What is the litmus test for prophecy? Is it in line with the written revelation, the logos, the Word of God? So this evening, though I may not be talking to you here because it's likely that if you're here on a regular basis, you have at least some level of appetite for the word because you know that we're about that. But I may be preaching to the principalities and the powers that might be peeking in tonight to let them know that this is a place where the word of God is going to be honored, it's going to be taught, it's going to be preached. And I also want to make that known in our community. 
that we're not just some seeker-friendly, feel-good, hey, ain't this cool? Now listen, maybe there's a spot for that somewhere, but this isn't the spot for that. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not angry. I'm not, if I'm angry at anybody, I'm angry at the devil because his system has taken advantage of this generation and we've bought into the lie that we don't need the Bible anymore. So if you pick up on a little hiss out of me, I'm just hissing at the serpent. I'm just hissing at him. He hisses at us, I'm hissing at him. Let's get into the word tonight. King Josiah is, as we talked about last week, was an eight-year-old king. Around the age of 16, he began to seek the Lord. Second Chronicles tells us that he began to seek the Lord with all of his heart. Now, around the age of 20, he began to make reformation in the kingdom. Some of that had already taken place. But here he is at the age of 26, in his 18th year of being king. And everything that he's done up to this point, which was a whole lot of good, was done without the written revelation that would now come into play here. And so it's 26 years old. He's now saying, okay, we have rid much of the land from a lot of the idolatry. Now I want to focus on the temple. I want to focus on the dwelling place of God. This temple has been neglected. This is the place where sacrifices should be offered. This is the place where instruction should be given. This is the place where prayer should be lifted up night and day unto Yahweh. And none of that had been going on for literally decades. And so Josiah says, we're going to rebuild the temple. And that's the context for what we're going to talk about tonight. So he sees the need for renewal. That's the first thing I want to share tonight. Josiah sees the need for renewal, and it's all in this prioritizing of the temple. Look in verse 3. It says it right there. The 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan. Just consider him the secretary of state. He's the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam. He's the secretary, and Josiah sent him to the house of the Lord. So here's the king. They have already done a lot of reformation in the land, but he says, now I want you to go into the house of the Lord. Shaphan, I want you to go up there and I want you to assess the situation. So right away we're finding out that the king is not content just to improve things. He's not content just to make a few changes here and there. This is a king in whose heart has been birthed a thirst for revival and reformation. And he's wise enough to know that business as usual and status quo will never bring revival. Anytime revival comes, it's almost always preceded by some level of reformation. Some people or some individual gets sick of the status quo and says, we've got to change things. Josiah was that guy. And so now he's moving from the land to the temple because he wants to make the place of worship beautified again. His father and grandfather were terribly wicked men. They had brought in pagan idols into God's temple. They had brought in literally pornographic emblems that they would place in the temple. And there were false altars there. And there were places where other gods were being uh, worshipped in this house that was dedicated to the glory of Yahweh centuries before. But now here they are in this place and it is deteriorated. And Josiah, who has the heart of God, he says, now we're going to fix the temple. Look down at verses 4 and then I'm going to add verse 7 to it. Part of the necessity of this, this is just a good teaching moment, he addresses giving in the temple. Look what he says. He says, um, Shaphan, go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And then in verse 7 he says, basically, and let me just paraphrase, he says, and don't even worry about checking up on it. These guys are men of integrity. They're going to take care of it. Let me just give you something very quickly. Um, it's always been 
the heart of the Father, that God's people would sacrifice financially to advance whatever the Lord was doing. Now, I, if, if you bristle at that, if there's something in your heart that cringes anytime a preacher or a teacher talks about money, I'm just going to be bold here. You've got a heart issue. Because the Bible, outside of redemption and salvation, the second most um, referenced theme in the Bible is actually our money, especially from the teaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, and then the second most covered topic that Jesus used in a lot of his parables was money. And so here they are, and then scholars tell us for about six years that these uh, individuals have been collecting. They have been collecting revenue from the people that were coming up to the temple. Now all that money has been co collected, and so Shaphan is dispatched to give the the purchase order go get the timber go get the brick go get the masonry go get all of the things and let's let's resurrect the worship in the house of god let's beautify it let's make it gorgeous again and so they took opportunity to do that the people had brought the money the assigned servants collected the money the leadership allocated the money into the right places and then integrity hallelujah protected the money and so there was people, there were people over it that would make sure that every dollar was accounted for, but it didn't have to come down to the guys that were working. So that's just a side note. I want to move back into verses five and six. The most important thing was the vision in the temple. I'm not talking about somebody receiving a vision. It's more like a vision for the temple. Look in verse five. So let this money be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord. Watch this. Repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters, the builders, the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. Now, bear with me a minute. This message is going to get a little bit more uh, where, you, where you live and where I live. But I, I want to just take a moment and, and say that the Lord has always had a heart for the places where he's worshipped. Now... We are the temple of God. Collectively, we are the temple of God. God doesn't dwell in houses made by man. Yet, there are places that have been erected for literally millennia now that are uh, dedicated to his worship, dedicated to praying and interceding, dedicating to the preaching and the teaching, the proclamation of, of biblical truth. And those places are erected, and, and they have a mark. We call them churches here. And by the way, if in case you lost touch during the, the worship service, you're actually in the Bible Belt. We are the region in America that has a church on every street corner. I have some friends that live out and lived out in Idaho, and they would, say, they would talk to me about just the dearth of churches that you could literally drive miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and never see any church. But we live around here, I'm going to tell you, I could throw a rock and probably hit five churches just in this area. Well, why am I even saying this? Listen, it's very popular for us to flippantly say, well, God doesn't care about the, the house. Well, I just want to tell you, once it's dedicated to his name, once it's known in that community as being a place where he is honored and worshiped and proclaimed and served, he absolutely cares about the house. He cares about it. And so one of the things that we do as the people of God, and when we're giving, and this is very practical here, when we're giving, we're not only just giving to the Lord, ultimately we are giving to the Lord through the church, but we're also giving to take care of the place where, where we worship and we serve. And so one of the things that I'm hoping we grow in is this area where we are sacrificial, and we're generous, and we don't have to have any twisting of arms. If, if you're new here, I rarely preach on money. 
But every now and then when it's in the text, I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, Jeff, make sure you touch it right now. And so this is all I'm going to say before moving on to the next point. We're crying out for revival, but if we can't trust God with our money, it is highly likely we're not a candidate for a revival. Now, I know that's a little bit hard, but it's a lot necessary. If, if, if we are lifting our hands and lifting our worship and praising him and dancing and doing all of the things that happy Christians do, and yet when offering time comes, you know, a doom cloud moves in, dun, 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 then there's something wrong with our hearts. Jesus took opportunity to say, there's a competition for your worship. You will either potentially worship God or what he called mammon, that old King James word. God or the love of money. And he said, if you love one, you'll end up hating the other. And if you hate one, you'll end up loving the other. And so one of the things that I hope that we will do as a people group, and I hope this just explodes all over the land, there's never been a greater time for us to advance the gospel. Listen, Jesus is coming back. While the church is amassing fortunes and storing them up, you know what that's going to end up? It's going to end up in the hands of the Antichrist. You know, we're storing up in all of our portfolios and all of our stuff. We're just storing up, storing up. Jesus is going to come back, man. And, and all of that stuff that we've been storing up for the rainy day, it's just going to move in. I'm just a big proponent of be generous, be intentional, and be aware of opportunities all around you. And God will use what you give to do something that has eternal value. Now, thank you for indulging me there for a minute. Let's get into verses 8 and 9. And this is really where I want to go tonight. There's something not right here. In this passage, there's something not right. There's reformation going on in the land. Josiah is tearing down strongholds and altars to pagan idols. Josiah is literally going after it with the zeal of a, a 20 to 26-year-old. It was in those six years where he started making um, all sorts of reformations in the land. But what's amazing to me and this is pre-Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had, had, it was operating by visitation in the Old Testament, whereas in the New Testament, he operates by habitation. In the Old Testament, he visits people. He comes upon people. They do a mighty work, and he usually withdraws from that person after that mighty work has been accomplished. New Testament, he comes, he abides, he resides, and he habitates with us, and we are indwelt by God the Spirit. But Josiah is doing all of these things. All of this great work in the land in the midst of a really decadent culture. And remember, he's the son and a grandson. Or he is the son and the grandson of two extremely wicked kings. His grandfather was the most wicked king that Israel, Judah, had ever had. And he reigned for 55 years and his fingerprints were all over the southern territory. His dad only had two years, but he just perpetuated for two more years all the stuff that his father did. So for 57 years, get this with me, for 57 years, an intentional pursuit of pagan idolatry, worshiping other gods, defiling the temple, prostitutes, male and female, hetero and homosexual, were, were engaged in the worship processes of these pagan gods. And it was all over the land. And then for those same 57 years, no Bible, no truth. There's a famine in the land of the word of God. And, and Josiah is just an eight-year-old kid. And somehow, 
God gets a hold of this eight-year-old kid at a young age, and now he's 26 years old, and for the first time in his life, he's about to encounter the Bible. I, I, I'm just uh, literally, I mean, I'm amazed that a young man without the Holy Spirit, in the sense of habitating, and without a Bible, did such extraordinary reformation work for the glory of God. Where does that come from? It comes from a heart that may not have all of the theological data, but a heart that drew near to God the best that that heart knew how. And when Josiah's heart drew near to God, God drew near to Josiah. And that made Josiah want to draw a little nearer to God. When you hear us talking about pressing in, that's what we're talking about. We're going to press in a little further, Lord. We're going to press in a little bit further, Lord. We're just going to keep pressing in. What does that mean? It can mean a lot of things, but it is the heart cry that says, Jesus, I love you, and I love what I've experienced with you, and you're awesome, and you're glorious, but it's not enough because I know there's more of you. I, I want to know you more. I want to experience you more. And so Josiah, 2,600 years ago, had a heart that just said, more of you, Yahweh, more of you, and the Father honored that. I think that that is the ingredient that I want to pass down to anybody I can influence. Um, if, if my time comes, and, or let's just put it this way, when my kids leave my home, there are two things that I want to make sure they have in their heart when it's time for them to launch out on their own. I want them to have a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want it to be passionate. I want it to be personal. And I don't want it on mama's coattails or daddy's coattails. I want it for them. Now, that doesn't happen accidentally in your home or my home. That has to happen intentionally. And so we're working at that. But the second thing I want them to have is, a, is an unalloyed love for God's word. Because when mom and dad aren't there to speak into their lives anymore, that Bible will always speak into their lives. So here is Josiah. And I can't wait to find out when we get to glory, I am going to ask him. Mark it down. Hold me accountable in heaven. I'm going to ask him, Josiah. How did you know who poured the Lord into you in such a pagan land? My guess is it's, it's probably his mama, but the Bible doesn't say that. So when we get down to here, he's done all of this good stuff, but he's about to get wrecked. He is about to have an encounter of the deepest level of conviction that he's ever experienced in his life. And I want us to learn what we can from that. So let, let's go down to verses 8 and 9 and, and just recognize this. Nobody in the land grasped the treasure of the word. Nobody grasped the treasure of God's word. They had this, what I call, position without power at the beginning of verse number 8. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary... I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, Hilkiah is the high priest. So if there's anybody in Israel, in Judah, that should know the value of coming across a portion or the entirety of the Mosaic law, it's the high priest. He's the spiritual functional leader of the entire nation. And as they're doing renovations, they're doing demo in the temple, they're pulling out stuff, 
Somebody, one of the workers, you can just see it, you know, some blue-collar construction worker says, hey, I found these scrolls, and his buddy says, just take them over there to Shaphan. He's over there on the, on the east wing. And so somebody takes those scrolls over there, says, Shaphan, these look important. I don't know. I don't read this language, so I'm going to get back to work. And uh, Excuse me, Hilkiah. Hilkiah takes the, the, the scrolls, and he's the high priest, and he recognizes, oh, this is, yeah, this is the Word of God. This, yeah, this is the Bible. Okay. Um, probably ought to take it to the king. It's almost like a novelty. It's a trinket from the past. It's something that once meant something to Israel, but for 57 years from the time of Hezekiah, it hasn't meant anything. I mean, it's this very book that he found that defines for Hilkiah that he is to be the high priest from the tribe of Levi. It's, I mean, they found the treasure and nobody notices. It's just a relic. Now, before we're too hard on them, um, there's been a, an amazing amount of sacrifice and effort and blood to provide a copy for me of the English Bible, for you that speak English, really for anybody that speaks a language other than Latin. I was just reminding myself this week about uh, John Wycliffe and John Hus. And the sacrifices that those men made to take captive, to pull out of captivity the Bible, which the church at Rome refused to let any common person read in their own language. They kept it in the scholarly language of Latin that the common man couldn't read, and there was no way for them to understand the Bible. And so the people in those pre-Reformation days had to go to the priest, and the priest would tell them whatever they wanted to tell them, up into the place where they were selling indulgences to finance so many lavish things in the Roman church. And so when John Wycliffe began to translate the Bible, and then John Hush comes behind him, and what's amazing is that there was a penalty provided by the Roman church that if anybody had a Bible in a language other than Latin, they were to be executed. And so when John Hughes took and the work of John Wycliffe and took it a step further, and they tried him and found him guilty of possessing and propagating the Bible in a language other than Latin, do you know what they did? They took the relics, the papers of John Wycliffe that he had worked on in translating, and they made a pyre, they, they tied a stake and put all of the paper around it. And they took the pages of John Wycliffe's work and used them as the kindling and set it afire and burned John Hus. It was in, uh, I believe it was in uh, 1417. John Hus's last dying words were this, in a hundred years, God will raise up a man who will start a reformation that nothing can stop. It was 102 years later where Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the wall of the door at Wittenberg. Friends, when we think about that Bible, whether it's on your iPad, your tablet, your phone, or you're holding a paper one, I, I, I want us to remember that people died that we might have a copy of that. The people gave their lives, and there were many others that died later on just protecting it. And here's my fear in the American church in the 21st century. We've basically repeated what had happened in Josiah's day. We've got our Bible stuck over in a corner somewhere in the church. set on a shelf at the house, gathering dust somewhere where God has preserved 
his written revelation. And instead, this is a, just a critique for a moment, instead we have constructed such impressive things to lean upon in the church. And we have built significantly numerical ministries on everything but the Bible. And unfortunately, when the Bible is lost, we have a repeat performance of what characterizes the days of the judges. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. So when we see this, look, let's just look at what happens here. Hilkiah had the position, but he didn't have the power. And when he found the word, it didn't even move him. It didn't even move him. Now, he gives, Hilkiah gives the book to Shaphan. It's the, this is what I call possession without perception. Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. He actually read it. He's reading the words of it, but so far away is the nation from God, the God of the word and the word of God, that Shaphan's reading it and he doesn't know what to make of it. He's not even convicted by it. He doesn't see anything wrong. Literally, it probably looked like an ancient artifact. And because it had been gone from the landscape of, of Israel for so long that he didn't have any kind of response to it whatsoever. He just recognized it as some very old scrolls. It's called a book, but more than likely, it was a set of scrolls. And so we, we, we get this, I'm going to extract this principle for this. A generation that devalues Scripture will never be moved by Scripture. The truth's in it. Listen, the Bible, you're, I'm going to mess with you right here. The Bible does not change your life. Reading, believing, and obeying the Bible changes your life. Faith in the revelation that is contained in the Bible, that changes your life. But having a Bible doesn't change you. Casually glancing at the Bible. I'll even go so far as this. Just listening to it being taught or preached once a week is not going to have a powerful transforming effect on your life. But for the individual who treasures the Scripture, who... Gets through those early days. I, when I first got started, I, I just had to discipline myself to read Scripture because your flesh doesn't want to read the Bible. And, and so your flesh is never going to say, Bible study, yay! Early in the morning, let's get up. Cup of coffee. Get on your face. Let's pray for an hour. Read the Bible. Your flesh will never tell you that. But if you will, as one who is indwelt by the Spirit of God, if you will set up some discipline just to begin, what happens is you start by discipline, but it becomes a delight. And so now when we look at the Word, those of you that are in the Word regularly, you approach it like a hungry woman to a buffet. You're like, I'm going to eat. Give me something good today, Lord. Ladies, I picked the wrong time to use the feminine. <laughs> hungry man at a buffet. Um, I very rarely ask for your help. But you see all the kids that were in here tonight. And um, the enemy hates them. He would love to shred them in any way possible. He will be working all of their lives, especially while they're young, to keep God's truth out of their hearts. My encouragement, my request is that we, as a little bit older and wiser adults, that we exemplify to them an honor of God's word. We don't have to pick between prophetic ministry 
and instructional teaching of the word. They both come from the same place. And when you have a life, a family, or a ministry that enjoys the freedom and the rhema word that comes in prophetic moments, and I love that, but you also have the objective written word of God, then you have a climate to raise up some warriors for the glory of Jesus Christ. These kids that were in here tonight, and they ranged in age probably from seven years old to 19 years old, they are going to be growing up in a far different America than you and I grew up in. And the hostility towards the church is going to exponentially grow in the next decade. It is going to grow. They are already starting to pass legislation against Bible-believing Christians that kind of hinder. As a matter of fact, I read today that the, uh, it's a school, I believe, up in Michigan or Ohio, a college, that the school has now removed the opportunity for a Christian group. I forget the name of it. It's a well-known national group. That, that Christian group can no longer practice and hold meetings on that entire campus because they insist that the leaders in that group be professors of Jesus Christ, professing Jesus Christ as Lord. And the school says, you can't do that. That's discriminatory. And so they yanked their ability. Now, by the way, they didn't do that with any other groups. That's going to happen more and more. And if all we do is send our kids out with happy hallmark thoughts about God, or little fortune cookie cliches about the kingdom, or little tweets, our kids will not make it through the tribulation on tweets. We're talking about enduring unto the end. And they're never going to make it apart from the Spirit of God and the conviction of the Word of God anchoring them when all of hell breaks loose against this earth in time to come. So my request for your help is this. Support your pastors, teachers, parents, grandparents when they intentionally make time to objectively teach and preach the word of God to kids. You've got to support it. If the kids hear us saying, oh, it was kind of boring, all they did was teach 12 verses in 2 Kings, you know what happens in their brain? The enemy takes that and says, yeah, the Bible's boring. You don't need to read it. You know why he doesn't want them reading the scriptures? Because if they don't read it, they can never believe it. And if they can never believe it, they're his. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, in a day where a lot of ministries, and I thank God that Billy and I will be doing most of the uh, preaching, I sat over there today and I was just saying, saying, God, thank you that when I'm sitting on the front row when Billy's preaching, I'm going to get fed the word of God. And that, listen, this house, God, help me. What's coming against the church, I'm just saying this as fact. The, 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 the church growth movement and seeker-friendly ministries, people aren't going to run to them when all of a sudden the enemy is attacking the church. They're not going to run to them. They, they're going to go to a place where the Holy Spirit dwells and where, where the truth of God's word is taught because we have the answers. We will have the commitment. We will have the conviction. And brothers and sisters, the, the, the trending today, man, the trending is that, that literally, there, it's, it's, it's both overt and covert, that there's just this, this compelling of church leaders 
to forget the Bible as if it was yesterday's tool. Last time I read, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So if he says it's going to do her forever, that means it must have purposefulness. Do you remember with me that God said, I have magnified my word above my name? And so when we think of things like this, I just sense such an urgency on us to make sure we're imparting to the next generation all of the good stuff. I want them to worship freely. I want them to celebrate. I want them to sing. I want them to dance. I want them to pray in tongues. I want them to prophesy. I want them to lay hands on the sick. I want to see, I want to see revival bust out where it gets messy. It gets crazy. I want to see that. You say, Jeff, that sounds a little radical. Well, don't read the book of Acts then. Because all of that stuff happens in the book of Acts. It's thoroughly biblical. I want to see that. But I don't want to see that at the expense of the apostolic doctrine. The apostles' doctrine and the Holy Spirit. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And so if we will remain intentional about being a community and, and, and propagating a culture where both of these aspects of kingdom ministry are affirmed, then we're going to be healthy. And so verse number nine. Yeah, I'm actually still in Second Kings somehow. Look in verse number nine. This, this reveals what I call routine without revelation. So Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king. Now remember, he's got a copy of God's word that nobody's seen in 57 years. He's got it in his hand and he runs back to the king and this is what he says. Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. That's what he's talking about. They just found the Bible. They just found the greatest treasure that had been lost and buried in Israel for over five decades. And he just kind of saunters into Josiah. And, and the first thing he wants to do is like, yeah, let me make sure you know the construction update. It looks like we're on plan. Blueprints are coming in. Everybody's showing up for work. We've got enough money. We're on budget. Looks like a great day. He's just going through the routine of life. And he's got somewhere near him the revelatory scrolls that God spoke to Moses. <laughs> and he's talking about, you know, the five pallets of, you know, whatever that they're using in the temple. Now, almost as an afterthought, we look in verses number 10 and 11, and I'm going to be done. In the midst of all of this, God was determined to reach them with revelation. The Lord's just not going to let them forget about this. They did have a casual attitude towards the scripture, at least Shaphan and Hilkiah did. Almost like an afterthought, Shaphan the secretary tells the king, just listen to it. Oh, yeah. Hilkiah the king gave me a book. That's it. Uh, Hilkiah the priest gave me the book. Shaphan had read it. Hilkiah knew what it was. I have found in the house of the Lord the law of God. And so it wasn't from an absence of information. They've got it there, but it means nothing to them. And just like a kind of a flippant afterthought, it's like, here's what's going on with the construction project. And by the way, over there, there's, um, I think Shafan told me that's the Bible. Yeah, that's, that's our Bible over there. It's, it's, it's a book. Now, in, the, in this book, just remember, in, in this set of scrolls, it's revelation from God written down and preserved. How in the world this thing got preserved under the reins of wicked kings, I have no idea. That's how God is. Listen, the very fact that the word of God still exists today is a testimony that God is serious about his word. 
because it's been hammered on it's been sent to, uh, sought to be exterminated in so many cultures in so many parts of the world and the fact that it made it through God's own people not caring about it that's how committed God is to make sure that you and I here in the year uh, whatever we're in 21st century that we have a copy of God's word so in it was the revelation from God and that revelation contained instruction from God how Israel was supposed to live, what they could do, what they couldn't do. It also had the, the promises of God in it. There was, most scholars think it was probably Deuteronomy, somewhere in Deuteronomy, because we're about to see how uh, Josiah reacts when he reads it. But it says in, in book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, 29, 30, if you do this, I will bless you, God says. I will bless you, 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 if you do these things. And then it also says, and if you don't do these things, I will curse you, I will curse you, I will curse you, I will curse you. And so this revelation had instruction, it had promises, it had warnings. And it, God's word, listen, remember when Moses got this stuff, at least at the beginning of it, it was so intense of an encounter with God that his face was shining. I mean, the encounter with God, when God presented the first of his written word, made Moses radioactive. God did all of that, friends. God comes with that kind of power. God comes with that kind of glory. And it's all contextualized around God delivering his word to mankind. And Shaphan says, yeah, there's a book over there. I, I just want to say this. We are so blessed to have our Bibles. And I know you've had one available to you your whole life. Let's remember the treasure it is. Without sounding too cryptic, I could not feign surprise if one day that precious book was outlawed in this country. If the Lord tarries his coming for another century, I would be shocked if it isn't outlawed and replaced in this country with a different religious book that is eating up Europe right now. Friends, we have revelation from God. Some people say, I, I never hear from God. This is always my answer. Open your Bible, you'll hear from him. And I'm not being flippant. I'm being like counseling. No, no, no. Open your Bible. And as soon as you do, wherever you read, you're going to hear his voice. He gave the word. Holy Spirit inspired the word, preserved the word. Now we have it translated in our language. And Shaphan tells the king, yeah, there's a book over there. Well, look in verse number 10. Shaphan read it before the king. The king was curious. You know, Shaphan didn't do it on his own. The king would have said, hey, whatever that book is, I want you to read it to me. He had never read the Bible. Josiah was godly. He was, he was more godly apart from the Bible than a lot of people are with a Bible. And, and, but Josiah, you just see how God, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wants, like the river of water. And God just takes Josiah's heart and puts one tick of curiosity towards whatever that book was. Because Shaphan didn't say, hey, we found the law of God. He just said, hey, there was a book in the temple. And Josiah says, read it to me. And so Shaphan un unfurls the scroll and begins reading the long-buried revelation of God that he gave through Moses that was to govern Israel as a theocracy. And this was the greatest physical treasure in the land. 
and Josiah was hearing it for the first time. So look at his response and we'll be done. I call this a consuming response. We don't even know what was read, but we know it was intense because of verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Now the next message is going to take us into what follows this, but I just want to focus on the response. Here's the godliest man in the land who has set his heart to do great reformation work for the glory of the long-forgotten God, Yahweh of Israel. He's in a great place with the Lord. The Bible says that he, he had a heart like King David's. It was after the Lord. The Bible says nobody before him or after him was quite like Josiah. And yet when this godly man, full of zeal for the kingdom of God, when he heard the word, it cut him to the core. And he was convicted to the extent that he ripped his royal robes. Now, that doesn't mean much to me and you, but when a king tears his royal robes, it's a big deal in Israel. Why did he do it? Because for the first time in his life, he began to know the God whom he had been serving in somewhat of an ignorance. He began to see the holiness of God. You'll find that out in the next message. He began to see the disobedience of his father and his grandfather wasn't a slap on the wrist disobedience. It was an invite the wrath of God disobedience. And Josiah was cut to the core because he knew he was guilty. The land was guilty. The people were guilty before a holy God. Brothers and sisters, when we meet together, when we open our Bibles, it's not always going to be big, bright smiles. It's not always going to be, oh, it's your best day now. Everything's great. It's wonderful. It's lovely. It's not always going to be that. Sometimes it is. But when, when sometimes when we open the Bible, it's going to be time to rip our robes. What God does is he goes for the deepest parts of who we are. And as he mines down into our hearts, there's a lot of stuff in between where he is and where he wants to get. And when he goes after it, those things get pulled out. They get yanked out. They get stripped away. And most of the time, he wants us to cooperate with the process and saying, okay, the light has come. The drill bit of heaven has come in. Let me give this to you because it doesn't belong in my life. Let me give this to you. It doesn't belong in my life. Let me give this to you. And so sometimes it can feel like a shredding, but here's the beauty of it. Um, God never shreds something that he doesn't sow. He'll shred it, then he'll heal it. He'll convict you, he'll never condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those of us that are in Christ Jesus, none. But that doesn't mean we are above conviction. And we don't grow beyond where we are apart from the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and he usually uses the Word of God. So while we're crying out, and I'm trying to quit, but the train won't stop. When we're, we're crying out, send revival! And I cried it out too. I was singing it at the top of my lungs, probably bothering my wife over here tonight, but just, send revival, send revival! And every now and then when I'm singing that or I'm praying that, and, and God is saying, are you really sure you want it? He's not casual, he's not flippant, 
but my, he's good. And what he's offering us are not pearls to be cast before the swine. We're calling on him to entrust to us the treasure of revival. And it will always be tethered to the treasure of the word. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. You've sobered us tonight. And I'm glad, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll do what may be a new work for many of making the Bible a treasure to them. I pray, Father, that for every person that hears this, that there'll just be a willingness, maybe for the first time in their lives, to read the Bible for themselves. I rebuke Satan who tries to make it a confusing book. Who tries to intimidate us with the why bother because we can't understand it lie. I rebuke that aspect. And I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to invigorate our hungers for scriptural truth. And I pray, Lord, that you'll remove the idea of a competition between the written word and the revelatory word, the prophetic word. Please take that out of the church. We recognize how silly it is, Lord. Please let there never be a competition between the two, but let us cherish both. In Jesus' name, amen.